when Governor Minner asked me to be secretary in, in 2001, and we had that discussion. My dad says, why, why do you want to go do this? And I said, it's an opportunity to make a difference. And, and I believe that, you know, we have been able to make a difference, whether it's at the state level or, or at the federal level. Welcome to another episode of Pod County. I'm your host, Kyle Grantham, and on today's episode... We're going to be talking to Delaware Agriculture Secretary Michael Skuse. Secretary Skuse, this is his second term as the Agriculture Secretary for the state of Delaware. He was originally Agriculture Secretary back in 2001 to 2008 under Governor Minner. Also, I'll say right now, say Agriculture Secretary five times fast and see if your mouth doesn't break. This is really hard to do. He also served as the Undersecretary of Agriculture in the Federal Department of Agriculture, uh, and then was the Acting Secretary. Uh, we, had, we had a Secretary of a Federal Department here. It was only for, for about a week at the end of the Obama administration, but Secretary Excuse was the man in charge for a period of time. Uh, but we're lucky we've got him as our Secretary now again. He's been doing phenomenal work with the state And we've got a lot of big things when it comes to agriculture in Delaware. And, you know, if you get south of the canal, there are a lot of farms. And we found out a few interesting facts about where Delaware ranks on a number of different crops. In fact, we're number one, which you'll you'll find out as you listen, in the country for one crop. And, of course, everyone knows uh, Delaware produces a ton, both figuratively and literally, of chickens every year and avian flu has returned. So that is another topic of serious conversation as we go through. So if you have any interest in agriculture, this is cool. But I will tell you, if you're curious where your food comes from, or you're curious about how the supply chain is impacting food prices, this is a really, really informative interview. I was really surprised at a lot of the stuff we learned. So sit back, enjoy, have a listen to Secretary Skews. gentlemen, welcome to another episode of Pod County. I'm your host, Kyle Grantham. We're joined today by County Executive Matt Meyer and Delaware Secretary of Agriculture, Michael Skuse. Welcome. No, thank you. I, I appreciate the opportunity. And uh, when the county executive asked me to come up to do this, I, there's no way I can say no, because we've got a great working relationship between the department and Newcastle County and, and Matt and myself. So, yeah, there was no way I was going to miss an opportunity to come up here and do this. Yeah, we worked on a number of farmland preservation projects, Fortner Farm, I guess, probably our latest one. And I'm certain that we can't get a lot of that done without the state's coordination and help. So. Well, it's, it's, a, it's a team effort, and, you know, we really appreciate working with the, the counties on ag land preservation. It's been a great opportunity to protect and preserve more of Newcastle County, working together and pooling our financial resources so it's not just a burden on the county or the state, but pooling those resources to protect as much farmland up here as we possibly can. And it's, it's, been, it's been a great, great partnership. And just a little bit of history, this, is, this all came about because of 
Senator Coons, then County Council President, saying, what can the county do to help protect more land in Newcastle County? And it's like, okay, there's no way currently we can do it. We have to change the law. And, and Chris said, okay, let's work together to get that done. We did, we made the changes that were necessary so the county could put resources in and protect and preserve areas in the counties, all three counties, that they, uh, that they really thought were critical and critical need of being protected. So it's been, uh, like I said, it's been a great, uh, great partnership for all, uh, all of these years. Newcastle County, we've, We've participated just this last year, just this last round. Uh, we protected a, a, a really nice property on the southeastern part of Newcastle County, protected and preserved 250 acres. So, it, like I said, it's been a great, great partnership. That's right. It's great efficient use of taxpayer dollars, you know, thanks to the leadership of former council president and county executive Coons that, that we now continue of county resources and state resources going in together and occasionally some federal Resources. Well, speaking of, of federal resources, I think just about every Delawarean can name the one Delawarean who's ever been president of the United States, Joe Biden. I don't know how many Delawareans can name the one Delawarean who I believe is the only person ever to serve as U.S. Secretary of Agriculture. Well, yeah, I did have the opportunity to serve as uh, the acting secretary so, of agriculture. So you always put acting in front of it. All the world's a stage secretary. Excuse <laughs> we're all actors out here. That's true. Seven days? Is that what you were? Yeah, it was, I think it was just a little over a week. But uh, I, I like to tell everybody that uh, I was one of the best actors in USDA, and I never got an Academy Award because uh, I was acting undersecretary before I was confirmed. I spent 14 months as acting deputy uh, secretary of agriculture, four months between uh, deputy Kathleen Merrigan and deputy Christa, uh, Christa Harden. And then when Krista left to go to work for Corteva, uh, I was the acting deputy secretary for the final 10 months of the administration. And then when secretary Vilsack left, the acting secretary for, for a while. So said, uh, told everybody I did, must have done a great job of acting because uh, I moved up the ladder, but I never got an Academy Award for it. <laughs> you need to slap more people. Apparently. Uh, evidently, but, yeah, yes. That. After I watched uh, Sunday, I didn't, you know, I need to slap more people, I guess, to, to get that uh, Academy Award. That's the way to do it. So your story starts, you're from a good farm family, Kent County, east of Smyrna. Tell us a little bit about your farm. Yeah, Kent County, east of Smyrna, uh, multi-generational farming operation. Uh, we raised uh, corn, soybeans, and, and wheat. All three of our family farms are, are permanently protected and preserved. We uh, went into Agland Preservation about 2000. So all three farms are permanently protected and preserved. I have a nephew that uh, works for uh, Corteva here on the, the peninsula, but it's been a, a great experience to, to be a farmer in Delaware. We have, and I, th I think, you know, a lot of people really don't appreciate the quality of, of producers that we have here in Delaware. When you look at, at our yields here in Delaware, they're actually, our corn and soybean yields are actually comparable to the I-States out west, which surprises a lot of people. In fact, it surprises my colleagues out there when I mention that to them. Our yields are all but as good as theirs are. We rank number one in the nation in lima bean production. We're in top ten in the nation in watermelon production and sweet corn production. Not, that's not per capita. That's total? That's total. Wow. Yeah, I, you're I, talking about the second smallest state. Yeah. in the nation. Yeah, and and when you look at our agriculture here, it's just unbelievable. Sussex County is the largest poultry producing county in the United States. 
So we have an unbelievably great agriculture here. And in fact, a lot of uh, those, uh, my former colleagues that'll come over from Washington, D.C. And, and come on to Delmarva and, and look at our agriculture here, they're just totally surprised. In fact, uh, the, the team that we just uh, had at USDA for the last three weeks, they, were, they, were, they thought Delaware was just one large city. But our agriculture here in Delaware uh, is, is second to none. Uh, we've got great producers, great family farms. You know, 99.9% .9 of our farms are, are family farming operations. Uh, and what the other thing people don't know is it's not just necessarily large corporate farms. You know, half of our farms are, are, are small farms with low acreage. So uh, it's, it's a mix, small, medium, and large. So it's great agriculture here. What is, uh, just to kind of jump straight, straight into a heavy topic, what is kind of the, the threat to that? Is it sea level rise? Is it overdevelopment? Is it disease? Is that, I had no idea that we ranked in, the, in those areas. And all I think about is, man, we're the lowest lying state. We're a small state that's got a growing population. You know, how do we maintain that position? What, what are we fighting against? As great as the agriculture is in, in Delaware, we're, we're fighting battles on multiple fronts. Uh, yes, there is some loss right now currently because of, of sea level rise. You have saltwater intrusion on land, and when you have that, then you lose that portion of the field because it, it's no longer productive. Uh, that will probably continue to, to worsen as, as time goes on. Depending on what numbers you believe, we could lose a considerable amount of our, our farmland al along the coast. So that's one issue. The other issue is, is development pressure. You look at development pressure here in northern Newcastle County. Now that's spreading into the southern part of the county, you look at the development pressure that we're facing in, in Sussex County. And then the, the newest threat to agriculture is solar farms. You know, it, it's bad enough that we lose our, our farmland for development, but now we're starting to see more and more solar farms wanting to, to come to Delaware and, and take valuable farmland. And then on top of that, you do have the, the issue with disease. Right now, we have three farms in Delaware test positive for high path avian influenza and our neighboring state, Maryland, just across the line. Uh, they're all right here pretty much together. Uh, Maryland has had uh, four farms test positive for high path avian influenza. If, if that should get into Sussex County, into our, our, the heart of our broiler industry and spread, it would have a, a devastating economic impact on not just the poultry producers, but on our grain farmers that also feed the, the, the poultry and all of the associated businesses. So there's, there's always a threat out there to, to agriculture, but again, we're, we're blessed with uh, great producers who are up to the challenges. Can you, can you talk a little bit about that outbreak. I mean, it's hard for me to imagine anyone who who's more prepared to deal with something like that than you. And so we're very fortunate as Delawareans to have you in the position you're in when the call comes in, hey, there's been a positive test of avian flu. That's that's an alarming situation. As you stated, they could have a tremendous detrimental impact in a number of ways on our community. And while maybe it's too early to declare victory, it seems like you've taken a number of really important steps. Can you talk a little bit about what, what do you do when the call comes in, hey, there's a farm in southern Newcastle County, we have a positive test. What do you do? 
Well, the, you know, the first thing that you do is you look at your, the plans that you have in place, okay? And the, the first call that you make, other than notifying my boss, the governor, you, you call USDA. The Department of Agriculture, Animal Plant Health Inspection Service, APHIS, they have teams that are right ready to roll any time, day or night, anywhere in the country to help you deal with this situation. And so far, in, in my opinion, I, I think we've done a very, very good job of controlling it up to this point in time. But it's a, it's a group effort. It's, it's my Department of Agriculture staff. We actually, actually have in the in Incident Command Center, we have staff from Maryland's Department of Agriculture. We have probably right now about uh, 30 individuals from the federal government at uh, Incident Command. And then we have contractors as well. We also depend on the counties, Matt. I mean, your emergency management center, we've had David Carpenter has been down there instrumental in helping us deal with the situation here in, in Newcastle County. Did an amazing job. When we needed water resources, we called Kent County's Emergency Management Center. Sussex County Emergency Management Center, they're on standby in case we need to move incident command to Sussex County if we have a breakdown there. But my point to all this is it's a, it's a group and team effort, and it takes all of us working together to control this. And uh, we were able to control it in 2004 when we had low path avian influenza. And so far, knock on wood, we've been able to do a fairly good job right now with a high, high path avian influenza, which spreads so easily. Car tires, shoes, hands, wind, and it's a very difficult situation, but it's, it's a team effort. Kind of terrifying when you think just a, a strong breeze. It's uh, enough. You know, when they ask you what makes you not sleep at night, for me, that's what it is. Yeah, for it, sure. It's, uh, it's the threat of a spread throughout the, the peninsula and the, the devastating economic impact that it would have for our state and for our region. And as you made clear to me when you called me to, to tell me about the outbreak, zero threat to human health. Yeah, zero, zero threat to human health. There's never been an incident in the United States where this has, has crossed over into the humans. The poultry is safe to eat, eggs are safe to eat, and uh, again, we're doing everything that we can possibly do to eradicate this uh, off the, the peninsula. But, you know, it is starting to spread in, in other states. The state of Iowa, uh, I've been in contact with their secretary of agriculture out there. They have seven facilities currently. We just had uh, confirmation uh, with a facility in North Carolina yesterday, another confirmation in, in New England. I think right now there's 17 states that are, that are impacted. So we're trying to get through this late or early spring, get to warmer weather, and then be even better prepared for next year in case it should uh, rear its ugly head again. I think you told me the story. Maybe the, the farm owner told me this. How, can you tell me how the outbreak was initially detected? So, you know, you're operating a, a chicken farm, and how's it found? Because l- l- let me add to that, that sometimes people say, oh, Delaware's got a problem with, with an outbreak. Maybe it's not that we had a problem, but we just have the best systems to detect it. Oh, so we, we caught it first. I, you know, our, our poultry producers, whether it's a, an egg-laying facility or a broiler facility, they do a very good job of monitoring their flocks. The, the first thing that, that you look for is an increase in, in mortality. There are standards that are set, so you, you, there's a, a baseline for what your mortality should be. If you have mortality that goes over that, 
we then go in and start testing. So that's the, that's the next step. You, if, if the mortality's increased, you go in and you do the testing. We have some unbelievably great labs here. Uh, we have Allen Lab at, at Newark, University of Delaware. We have Lasher Lab at the University of Delaware's uh, campus in, in Georgetown, the research farm. So we've got great labs. Maryland just opened a brand new laboratory in Salisbury. We've got great technicians at these laboratories. So once we get a test in, it's only a matter of hours, Matt, before we get uh, a negative or positive result back. What else we did after the outbreak first started for our broiler industry, we asked all of our producers to monitor and keep a record of water and feed consumption. So if we see the water and feed consumption drop, that's an even earlier indicator than an increase in mortality. So we've asked them to monitor that too. So, uh, that, you know, we can get the birds tested sooner than just by looking at above average mortality. But again, we've got great labs and, and our producers do a really, really good job of monitoring their flocks so we can get it detected early. And that's the key, early detection. You know, we're in this era of supply chain disruption. Obviously, the pandemic caused a, a lot of that. But as we look at agriculture, the war in Ukraine has, is going to cause, at least in Europe, a massive agricultural problem. Ukraine produces an insane amount of wheat for Europe. And then I didn't realize this at all, but Russia produces something like 20% of the world's fertilizer which is going to become obviously an issue for a number of countries. So when you talk about Delaware's position as a poultry producer in the country, something like this could cause you know a ripple effect if it's not caught early. And so that, that level of early detection work, I think, is incredibly vital, forward thinking, to, to stay on top of that. Yeah, it is. And, and like I said, early, early detection is the key to stopping this disease from spreading. And the sooner that we can get in there to an infected premise and depopulate the flock and, and compost that flock, the sooner we do that, then the, the, the more we lessen the risk of it spreading. So, but you, you just brought up a, a, a really good point and opened up a, a, a whole nother issue, and that is the production cost for our producers. We were already seeing increased cost for our grain farmers prior to the war in Ukraine. And now those costs have increased, and there's, there's not a lot of fertilizer now in the supply chain because of the war. We're, we're seeing costs go up for our grain producers 20, anywhere from 20 to 30 percent. If you looked at last year's production, you probably saw a cost to put somewhere around $800 to put an acre of corn in the ground. I'm hearing numbers right now where it's going to cost about $1,200 an acre to put an acre of, of corn in the ground because of the war and supply chain issues. Chemical costs have, have gone up. Glyphosate, Roundup is extremely hard to come by, and when you find it, it is extremely expensive. So they're, they're seeing a huge increase in production costs. Yes, because of the war, we've seen grain prices go up. Brazil did not have a, a very good production year last year, so their, their production was way off. They're a major exporter. That had an impact on, on grain supplies and prices. The war in, in the Ukraine is having now an even bigger impact on prices. Ukraine and Russia together account for about 30% of the world's wheat production. 
and you, there, there's not going to be any wheat that's going to be exported, I don't think, from either one of those countries, so it's having a major impact on, on prices. But, yes, grain prices are high, but you have to grow a good crop in order just to be able to offset the increase in production costs. There's a lot of uncertainty out there across the whole United States when it goes into this year about what what's actually going to happen. Are the prices going to remain high? Are you going to be able to get the fertilizer that you need to grow a crop? Are you going to get the weather that you need to produce a crop? So there's a great deal of uncertainty out there and angst, I think, uh, about this coming year when it comes to our grain producers. And it's the same just with the livestock producers and the poultry industry as well because their costs are going up. Cost of grain, the, 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 the whole supply chain issue, the cost of diesel fuel to get product, get the livestock or poultry to a plant and then get it from a plant to a grocery store and to the consumer. So those prices are, are going up as, as well. So, and that's what's, you know, when you look at inflation and, and how much our food prices have gone up, it's because of all of these factors. Yeah, in the supermarket era, I think we really take for granted that we can walk into a store and we can find whatever thing we want, and it, you know, okay, well, it's the price is a bit more, but it's still here. And the reality is, as you talked about, you know, thirty some percent of the world's wheat production may not happen, and it's not like a factory where, okay, well, we need more computer chips, so we're going to repurpose these lines and make computer chips. You can't just go to a field and say, well, we're going to turn turn this into a wheat field today. You need the right conditions. It needs to be prepped. you got to have the seed to plant anyway. You can't just flip a switch and grow more grain to make up for that, that supply drop. And I think one of the things that angers people outside of the pricing is that when you, know, you go to a store and there's no paper towels on the shelves, you just got so used to it because you didn't think about where it comes from. I think that's going to be a realization for people as things go on is they need to start becoming more aware of where the things that they buy every day are actually made, and then hopefully at least the end good thing out of it is there's more appreciation for the producers. Yeah, I, th- I think at the very beginning of the, the pandemic when uh, people went into the grocery stores, our consumers went in, and they saw that there was not the same amount of products on the shelves, whether it's bread or meat products or whatever, I think that there, some of our consumers then started to have an appreciation for agriculture and the production and what we do in the, this country. So, you know, that was unfortunate. But uh, on the other hand, we need our consumers to start paying attention now more than ever to agriculture and what our producers go through to get a, a crop to our con- or a product to our consumers. You know, our consumers are, are very fortunate. We in this country have the most abundant, safest, and cost-effective food supply to be found anywhere in the world. When our consumers are spending 10% or less of their income on food compared to the world average of around 30%, um, that's a big difference. Stop and think about spending 30% of your income on food instead of the, the 10 so our consumers are very, very fortunate, and, and that difference allows them to do things with their money other than buy food, sure. vacations, cars, homes. So our, our consumers are very fortunate that uh, our, our production and agriculture in this country is as good as it is. Can we talk about young people a bit? As I go to Farm Bureau meetings and meet with farmers, let's be honest, usually it's an older aging generation we hear time and again from farmers that kids grandkids don't really want to they want to go develop software do, do something else 
are you concerned that in the future, that there, in future generations, there won't be farmers to, to work the land? No, I, there's always going to be someone out there to work the, the land, Matt. But, you know, what's happening is you're going to see our larger farms get bigger. And you're going to see our smaller farms, the number of small farms increase. I think you'll see that middle area, you know, be pushed out. Having looked at, at Delaware and looked at farming operations, our, our larger farming operations that, that I'm familiar with, there is a next generation now that is, that's taking those farms over. But, the, but it is a concern. Our family farming operation, we did not have that next generation to, to take the, the farming operation over. So, you know, we now have, as I explained earlier uh, to you, I, you know, I've leased my farms to a young, young farmer who wanted to get, it, get started. That's not the norm. We don't have a great number of young people that want to get involved in, in, in agriculture. It's expensive. There's a great deal of uncertainty. You never know from one year to another what you're going to make. You don't have that, that retirement package when you're out there farming on your, your own. It can be long days, 15, 16 hours a day, sometimes seven days a week for, for weeks on end. And, you know, it's just hard in today's world to recruit that next group. Now, having said that, the USDA has a, a lot of programs out there to help someone that wants to get started in farming, loan programs through the, the Farm Service Agency. We have a young farmer program with Aglands Preservation where we help a young farmer go out and buy a farm interest-free. And so we, we've been able to, to protect and, and preserve several thousand acres and get uh, quite a few numbers of, of young farmers involved in agriculture. So there are programs out there to do that. But, yeah, it, it's, a, it's a national concern. You know, I, I talk to my colleagues when we have our national meeting, and, and every state, it's the same. I don't care what part of the United States you are. We have got to find a way to try and recruit that next generation and, and keep it going. The easiest way to do it is to make sure that farming is going to be profitable. If, if that next generation sees that farming is going to be profitable and they're going to be able to make a living, they're going to be able to raise a family, they're going to be able to buy land and, and pay for their equipment, we've got people out there, that, that younger generation, that will do that. A good example, I know years ago when I was in Washington, we saw dairy prices go up to over $20 a hundredweight. And when we saw that, we saw some young people getting back in the dairy industry. But when that number gets back down to $15, $16 a hundredweight and they, they don't have the ability to make money, that's when we start losing that, that group. So. We need to find a way to make sure that that next generation is going to be able to be profitable. Great. No, shout out. I know you've won awards from Future Farmers of America. Just quick shout out to Middletown Future Farmers of America. I don't know. There were about 15 young people from Middletown High, Apo High, and Odessa High who just went down to the Future Farmers of America conference in D.C. They're very enthusiastic about their future in southern Newcastle County as farmers. So there are, there are those out there who are eager looking for that farming future. 
you know, we're, we're blessed in this country that we have two really great youth organizations with the, the 4-H, which is run by Cooperative Extension, and the FFA programs. And I, I have been very, very blessed to, to have won awards from the National FFA organization, Honorary American Degree, and the VIP uh, award uh, three, three years ago from, from them. But a great organization fantastic young people you know I, I people say you know we're worried about that next that that younger generation and are we going to have future leaders and we don't know what's coming you know what's going to happen to that next generation and, and I would urge anyone that has concerns about that next group attend an, an FFA awards banquet or take a look at the national convention that they have when you have 60 70,000 young people out there really getting along with one another and you look at the leadership skills that that these young people have they're fantastic and uh, you know having an opportunity to be around them it's been a great experience for me but I would urge some people out there if they're concerned about the young people of this country uh, take a look at those young people that are in the FFA and N4H they're being taught some unbelievably great skills when you you were mentioning to me earlier before we came on that among your responsibilities at the U.S. Department of Agriculture was overseeing some, some of the foreign agriculture work. I don't know, was it the Foreign Agricultural Service? Or, yes. But can you talk a little, that's fascinating to, to me, probably much more so than our grandparents and great-grandparents. It's, it's a global farming marketplace. Pricing is all, you know, like uh, Kyle was referring to, something happens in Ukraine, and that affects both uh, cost and pricing here for farmers in Delaware. Can you talk a little bit about your work for our country abroad? Sure. When I was the undersecretary, I had uh, the three agencies under me were the Farm Service Agency, which deals with all of our farm programs, the Risk Management Agency, which deals with the crop insurance, and the Foreign Ag Service, which deals with all of our our trade as well as some of our food programs and the other programs that we have internationally. But it was quite interesting. And and one of the things that that I started doing as the undersecretary, I started leading trade missions. And when I went did these trade missions, I would take my colleagues from other states and they would have to bring some companies from their states to these trade missions. And we would do trade missions uh, all, all over the world. I, I visited a, about 30 countries, some of them on, on multiple uh, occasions. But we would go out and, and do these trade missions to, to move U.S. agricultural products into different areas and give consumers in these other countries uh, uh, the ability to, to, to try some of our, our products here. And when you go to some of these countries, it was amazing. We did several trade missions to, to China. And you walk in a grocery store, and there's a whole section of American products there and the consumers there were just, uh, you know, that was where all the consumers in the store were because they recognized that our products have uh, are top quality and they're also safe. But we would do trade missions ar- around the world. And so uh, we did, uh, uh, as one example, we did a trade mission to, to Russia when we were still friends and there wasn't a war before they invaded Crimea. We did uh, $10 million worth of, of uh, U.S. agricultural business in, in one week. And then as a follow-up, those secretaries and commissioners that I took with me, they would go back and visit these countries with their governors and with others involved in the agricultural industry, other businesses, to sell even more products. And we were at, when, when I left Washington, we were at about uh, somewhere about $150 billion in trade. 
This past year, USDA just shattered the record. They did over $180 billion in, in agricultural trade. That's exports. That's exports. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we are very, our, our markets are dependent on those exports. We, we export approximately, uh, you know, 20% of, of what we grow in this, this country is, is exported or our, our farmers, you know, it's 20% of their overall income is, is related to, to imports. Is that ex- true of Delaware ex- farmers as well? Some is, are of we our, at about 20% or? Well, no, we're not because a lot of our, it's like our poultry products. Our poultry products, for the most part, go into our northeast market here. Mm-hmm. Now, the dark meat, because, you know, in the U.S., we like the white meat and other countries like the dark meat. So a lot of the dark meat will get exported. The chicken paws get uh, get exported to some of the Asian countries because <laughs> it's a delicacy there. So H- Have you ever... Have you ever tried uh, chicken no, paws? No, I, I, I passed on the chicken paws Kyle, when I was in paws. China. You know, at all the state fairs I've been to, I have eaten crickets, but I have not eaten <laughs> not chicken, chicken paws. Well, uh, yeah, we'll have to see if we can you know, do something about that at the Delaware State Fair <laughs> um, when the county executive visits. But, yeah, there uh, you go. <laughs> but our, our, our soybeans, because we're, our industry doesn't use all of the soybeans that we grow here on the peninsula, some of those soybeans are, are exported to other countries. But exports play a, a very big role in, in agriculture and the health of, of agriculture around the country. I know when, when we had uh, dairy exports get up to 17%, we saw the milk price increase to where it was uh, profitable then for our dairy farmers. So there, our, our producers out there are very dependent on our ability to export products to other countries around the world. You were the agricultural secretary for Delaware from 2001 to 2008. You, you'd done this once. What made you want to come back? <laughs> what made you want to do it again? Well, I, I tell everybody that uh, the governor recycled me. <laughs> Smart. Uh, Reduce, reuse, recycle. Yeah, the governor just recycled me. No, it was, a, it was an opportunity to come back and, and work for uh, Governor Carney. I tell everybody that the... Secretary of Agriculture or Commissioner of Agriculture jobs in the United States are the very best jobs in, in all of government. You have an opportunity to really make a, a difference in your agricultural community, and you get to work with some really, really great people. Whether it's staff at the department, you'll find that the, the staffs in the departments of agriculture, whether it be Washington or in any state, are, are really fantastic people that, that are committed to their jobs. And so you, you work with a, a great team of individuals and then those in the, the agricultural community. It's really great to go out and, into the agricultural community and, and visit with the different producers and you know, see what their issues are, what their needs are, and then what they're actually doing. When you look at the, the changes in the technology that we've experienced over the, the last 10 years, it's been absolutely fascinating uh, to watch uh, how fast our producers have been able to adapt it. But um, you know, I, I wanted to come back because I just thought it, it's, a, it's a great opportunity to make a difference which is why I took the job the first time. I mean, my, my father, when we had the discussion of when Governor Minner asked me to be secretary in, in 2001, and we had that discussion, my dad says, why, why do you want to go do this? And I said, it's an opportunity to make a difference. And, and I believe that, you know, we have been able to make a difference, whether it's at the state level or, or at the federal level. Uh, it's been a, a great opportunity for me. And that's, so that's why I'm, I came back and I'm very glad that Governor Carney decided to recycle me. It's so. amazing work. You're feeding Delawareans. You're feeding people across our country, as you mentioned, saving some people over in, in Asia and 
providing a tremendous amount of, of quality work opportunities for Delawareans. So we owe you a debt of gratitude as well, Secretary Scoose. Well, thank you. Thank you, Matt. I, I really appreciate that. But uh, as I said, it's everything that we do as a team is a team effort. And uh, working with uh, working with county government, working with my colleagues in the, in the cabinet, and working with the, the federal government, it takes everybody working together to really make a, a, a difference. And uh, I can, you know, honestly say it's been an absolute pleasure working with you. We've had some some things that we've worked together, whether it be Aglands preservation or tax issues or anything. But we've been able to to work together, and uh, we've been able to work together and make a difference for for producers here in Newcastle County. So. Uh, when we can do that, it's uh, it makes it all worthwhile. Well, ultimately, your boss is my boss. The people, people of the state and Newcastle County. Yeah. So, you talked about that technology change, right? And so, from 2001 to 2021, what you've been able to see in technology and farming has to be a massive upgrade. It it is. Uh, I mean, you look at the the. The GPS technology now that we're using that will allow uh, a planter to, sh to know where it has planted and shut the seed off so you don't waste the seed, uh, so you don't overapply it. And, and look at the, the sprayers now that we have spraying the crops that, that do precision spraying. They don't overlap. They know where they've been in the field using, using that technology. Uh, so you don't waste chemicals, so you do a, a better job of actually applying it and getting it on the land so you don't have the drift, so we don't get the complaints from, from the neighbors. Um, you look at the technology that we now have in, in our harvesting equipment. The combines today, they adjust as you're going across the field depending on the, the crop conditions, something that, that I've, I've never had when, when I was running a combine, which is the favorite thing that I would like to do on the farm. And, and now we're looking at autonomous tractors. They now have tractors that have the ability, you take them to the field, turn them loose, and they're going to do the work. And so isn't that scary? If, I'm, if I make my livelihood, like in a lot of industries now, if I make my livelihood driving trucks, if I make my livelihood driving tractors, and what I did, it's what my dad did, my grandpa, and now you're talking about autonomous, that's scary. It, it, it is to, to a point, but... Labor for agriculture is hard to find. It really is. And it's, it's, that's, it's not unlike any other industry. I mean, you just mentioned truck drivers. I mean, we have a nationwide shortage of truck drivers right now. We have a, a nationwide shortage of, of farm workers right now. So, you know, because of that shortage, you're, we're, our producers are being driven to do other things. Um, a, a great example of one of the, the, the most amazing things that, that I've seen I, I toured a dairy farm where a robot milks the cows. <laughs> and yeah, it was, it, it was just absolutely amazing. I mean, the, the cows walk into a chute. They're fed while they're standing there being fed. A robot milker comes out and attaches the cups to the cow and milks the cow. When the cows milk, the, the cups fall off. It goes out of the way. The chute opens. She goes out. The next cow walks in. And, and it's like, you know, I've seen where you had the big carousel, 50 cow uh, on a carousel that's going around, and it takes only three people. And I thought that was something to see. But when you walked into a barn and actually saw a robot milking the cow, that just absolutely amazed me. And, and, and the technology is going to continue to grow and, and, and improve as time goes on. 
But again, that's all a result, whether it be a carousel or whether it be a robot milker, it's because we have a huge labor shortage in agriculture. Since 1950, because of innovations and improvements in technology around agriculture and farming, there are three billion more people on this planet than we would have otherwise. A lot of it has to do with fertilizer, just the ability to fertilize ground that would otherwise not work. But you know, I can't imagine as populations not slowing down worldwide, w the more we continue to innovate and the more we continue to, to bring new technologies in, how that'll help us support uh, a continually growing population. The biggest thing that's, that has helped us increase yields over the last 15 years or so has been use of biotechnology. If, if you look at, you know, around 2000, a 10 billion bushel corn crop was a huge corn crop. You know, now we're producing 15, 16 billion bushels of corn on less land. Wait, so that it was 2 billion? It went from, no, in 2000, it went from 10 billion. 10 billion to 15, to, to so about 15, 50% 15 more. to 16 billion today. Mm -hmm. and, and that's a result of biotechnology, the work that the companies are doing to improve the plants, whether it's corn or, or soybeans or, or some of the others that we're growing. Uh, but we've been able to make significant increases in yields because of biotechnology. To, to feed this population that's going to be well over 9 billion people in the next 25 years, um, we're going to need to continue to improve the technology because we're going to continue to lose land, and, but we're going to have to increase those yields. The other thing that we're going to have to do is convince other countries that the biotechnology is safe and they need to use it as well. Mexico, we're having an issue with Mexico right now, uh, not wanting to accept and adopt biotechnology. I will be going to Mexico in May to have a, a conversation with some of their agricultural leaders about biotechnology. The European Union does not want their farmers to adopt uh, the use of biotechnology for, for their grain production, which is a huge mistake because it not only hurts the production but puts those, those producers at risk be, because they, they just cannot compete with the rest of the, the countries out there that, that are using biotechnology. But not only is it increasing yields, but we're seeing biotechnology now create products that are better for human consumption. A good example of that would be the, the oils now that we're getting from, from soybeans. When you look at the, uh, the oleic oil that we're getting, that's just a, a much healthier oil for human consumption. So there's a product out there called golden rice that'll help with uh, people that have vitamin A deficiencies so they won't go blind. So they're, they're, we're going to be looking at technology not just to increase production, but we're going to be looking at uh, biotechnology for pharmaceutical production in crops as well as ways to improve human health. Absolutely fascinating. Good stuff. An exciting future in spite of challenges. It, it is. And it's a great, it, it is a great time to be involved in agriculture just because of all that's going on in agriculture, whether it be the new technology, whether it be mechanical technology or the biotechnology that is going to continue to make improvements, the, the opportunities for trade and to, to do things with other countries around the world. I think right now it's, it's really an exciting time to be involved in agriculture. Well, ladies and gentlemen, if you want to meet Secretary Skews, he is always at the State Fair. He is a State Fair regular. So th what do we know when the State Fair is this year? We sure do. July 21st will be the opening of the Delaware State Fair. So there you go. So July 21st, you can meet him. 
down in Harrington at the state fairgrounds, or you know maybe you'll just see him out at your local poultry farm. Looks like among other things, we got Hank Williams, ZZ Top. Oh, we got we got a great lineup at the Delaware State Fair this year. You're you're right, Trace uh, Trace, Trace Atkins. Atkins. Yes, we got a great great lineup at the Delaware is, State Fair. Is it true Nelly is going to be there as well? Mm-hmm. Uh, rumors you're going to dress up like a ZZ Top guitarist. Is uh, that true? Uh, no, I don't know where you heard that, but that one's not true. I can I can safely say that that's that that rumor's not true. So we're a plus on Nelly, but we're a we're a no on ZZ Top beard. Uh, right. Okay. All right. Well, we'll take one for the other, I, I guess. Secretary Excuse, thank you so much for coming in. It was a great conversation. Who knew? 45 minutes of agriculture, and I'm sure we just scratched the surface. Well, there's a lot more, but again, I, I want to thank Matt you for the opportunity to come up here and do this. Great, great opportunity again, and I want to thank you for all the work that uh, you've been able to do with us to make a difference up here in Newcastle County. Right. Thank you for your partnership, your decades of service to, to Delawareans. You must be among the longest-serving Delaware Secretary of Agriculture ever, and uh, probably, I think it's safe to say, only Delawarean ever to serve as U.S. Secretary of Agriculture. So thank you for your tremendous work for people here in Delaware and across the country. Thank you.